Welcome to Elevate. I'm so happy you're here with me today, and I cannot wait to share this episode with you. As an evidence-based coach, mentor, and entrepreneur, I'm obsessed with learning and personal development as it's transformed my entire life, as well as those I get to work with. And to be quite frank, it's literally the entire reason this podcast exists, to feel your growth, gain perspective, and acquire knowledge. So buckle up, friends. You're in for a treat. And as always, thank you for supporting me and the show so we can continue to elevate our own lives as well as those you share this with. Now, let's get into it. What is going on, guys? And welcome back to another episode of Elevate. Today, I have my friend Bob, Chef Bob on Instagram, and he has the absolute best baked goods. I think he's out of commission right now for a little while. Um, but when he's back in action, you absolutely need to get them. But Bob is also a coach and we go back and forth a lot on some mindset stuff, some things that clients struggle with. And so today we're just going to kind of have a chat around some of that, some of those topics and see what comes up. But for people that don't know you, Bob, can you please introduce yourself, tell people a little bit about your story, your background and how we came to even connect? Yeah. So for me, it's kind of, it's kind of ideal and a little weird too, because you know, when you look at my degree and what I have, you think like, this guy's a coach, but uh, I do have a business education background. I have my bachelor's. I am taking classes for my MBA. But uh, ever since becoming a teacher, you know, once I saw like the grasp I had on students and just communicating with people and the influence I had, it led me to coaching, which mm -hmm. is pretty cool because I've competed in three bodybuilding shows and it just kind of stemmed off of there. Um, once I got to understand nutrition and training, dive a lot more into taking classes, workshops, um, working with other coaches and mentorships, things along those lines, it really made me understand the impact I had with uh, communicating with other people. And as you know, social media brings you to other people, other sources and great people. But, um, you know, I consider you like a needle in a haystack because it, it's hard to find real people when it comes to social media. There's a lot of false information out there, but there's also a lot of good information out there. So it's really just, you know, how you set your boundaries and how you find the people you communicate with, and then you form that inner circle. And that's a big thing that a lot of people I think need to grasp in order to succeed. So. Yeah, it's all about having awareness over how you engage with the platform, because I think a lot of people forget while they might blame the algorithm for certain things, it also gives you what you engage with. And so if you have clarity around that, you can then have more intention and attention to, well, what is coming up in my feed? How does it make me feel? Is this stuff that I find beneficial to my quality of life? Or is this stuff that is draining, overwhelming, and puts my brain in a thousand different directions? And obviously, when you are looking at health and fitness content, there are so many differing opinions on the internet that not all of it is applicable to you. Most health and fitness related content is around fat loss, but not mm -hmm. everybody needs to lose weight or fat, right? So then you have people that actually need to go through a maintenance phase or go through a reverse diet or, you know, put on some muscle and stop living this endless cycle of a calorie deficit, but they continue to consume content that's around the importance of a calorie deficit and how to go through a calorie deficit and all the things. Um, so then they stay in this vicious cycle of executing a life that is taking away from their quality of life or their ability to have full experiences with people and the things that they actually find meaningful, um, only to continue to diminish all of those things trying to focus on the wrong things and taking information and applying it when it's not necessarily applicable. So I don't know. Um, I know that we've talked a bit about like working with clients and overcoming some of the mindset stuff that they struggle with. And so I'm just curious on some of the things that you find are 
kind of underlying themes currently, whether it's within your own clientele or things that you're observing on the interwebs of health and fitness content, and social media? I think we see a lot of the same things because, you know, just some of the communication we've had, you know, we kind of hit on the same topics. And I think one of the first things when it comes to seeing all these fat loss and chronic dieting, things along those lines, everybody has that similar mindset of chasing the last couple pounds. It's like, hey, I got 10 pounds to lose. You know, how quick can I lose it? Mm -hmm. Everyone's always in a sprint. Everyone always wants to get it done right away. But at the same time, you need to make an accountable goal for that client. It's like, I want to lose this in two months. Well, you have to take into consideration so many biofeedback markers. How long have you been dieting? Where are your calories? What is your cardio at? You know, how is your recovery? All of these things a lot of people overlook because most people, when they hire a coach, they want two things. They want a training plan and they want macros but they don't ever want to listen to their body and what it's telling them, their digestion, you know, their mental thoughts, um, their clarity, as far as their stress management goes, people overlook the biggest pieces of the puzzle, which is actually outside of the spectrum of training and nutrition. So for me, the biggest thing that I look at whenever I work with a client is I first dive into their digestion, their stress management and sleep habits. Cause more than likely if they've been chronic dieting, all three of those are just in the gutter. So right away, it's trying to establish healthy habits outside of what you want from a coach. And for a lot of people, it's hard because you try to rewire a thought process. Most people have lived this life for months, years, some even a decade, and you tell them to do the 180 of what they're used to, they're going to look at you and be like, are you serious? But that's where having those good habits, communication skills, being upfront with people, and establishing those boundaries within your clientele is essential for longevity and also finding a sustainable habit as far as getting from point A to point B. Yeah. And I think one of the most important things that you mentioned is the idea of a deadline or an end goal. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, if you have an end goal, then you need to also consider what happens next. And I think yes. that the problem with seeking out a, what I like to call them surface level solutions, where you're following some type of cookie cutter meal plan, training plan, cardio, rabbit fat loss, drink supplement fat burner, whatever you want to call it, whatever you want to use. The problem with that is not weight loss. And I, I like to make this message quite clear that we don't have a weight loss problem. You can starve anybody, they will lose weight. Okay. That not a problem. People know what they need to do. We don't have an information problem. We have an implementation issue. And so if we look at that, right, that's where we don't have a proper exit strategy or approach that is going to be within a sustainable model. And if you can look at it from that lens, then you also have to have the realistic expectation that it's going to take longer than you probably want it to. But if you're going to play the game, what is the point of playing for a short-term experience when you could play the game for long-term gain, right? And so if you can play the game, understanding that the goal that you are aiming to accomplish is inevitably a continuous, so it's an infinite goal and it's an infinite game. And if you can continue to set finite tactical kind of points in which you need to conquer such as short-term goals, then you can continue to drive your lens. So if we look at this from a broad spectrum, if we're playing an infinite game, then you are going to need to incorporate health and fitness modalities into your life for the rest of your life. So you need to accept that, right? Your, your behavior and your lifestyle do need to shift but then you need to zoom in on, okay, what tactical things can I focus on executing in the short term 
to check boxes so I know that we are continuing to move in the proper direction. And I think just that conversation freaks people out because they're like, well, I don't want Mm -hmm. to work out and do cardio for the rest of my life. And I'm like, okay, well, then we need to look at how can we incorporate something that will improve your health, right? What can we change from your behavior and habits? And a lot of it to me, in my experience, people have very poor coping mechanisms in general. So Mm -hmm. that is where they tend to start to engage in self-sabotaging behaviors or habits that they know inevitably don't lead them any closer to where they want to be. And this is where I get into the weeds of psychology, not only being able to bring awareness to the habit itself, but what is cultivating that habit and where did that come from? Because I think a lot of people look at habits and behaviors as like, oh, this is a bad habit. Well, you haven't always had this bad habit experience because if you did, it wouldn't be such a deeply ingrained habit, right? So we have to also acknowledge and accept that you have this behavior because at one point in your life, for whatever reason, it served you, right? You benefited from it in some arena, but in any facet of your life or any activity that you do, right? Working out, for example, right? We all beat the drum on how important it is, but any behavior can also be toxic in a strong enough dose, Right. And so that's where you have people that will overexercise or do too much. And then they're chronically in a stressed physiological state and psychological state to the point where their day is ruined if they could not figure out how to get to the gym. Right. That is a poor relationship with exercise that we need to address. Right. And so it doesn't matter what the cope is, everyone has them and they served you at a given point in your life. Right. And we have to be able to acknowledge that without judgment, just bringing awareness to the fact that this is the environment in which you currently exist. And if we want to change that reality and your experience within the world, then yes, biofeedback is important for sure. We want to look at those things as we're addressing somebody's health, but a lot of it starts between the ears for me. And so when I am examining someone and having a conversation with them, I want to figure out what they think about themselves, what they believe has to be done, what they've done in the past and why they've done that and what they think they need in order to achieve the result and what the beliefs they have around about what it's going to require for them to get there, right? If I can understand the belief system that they have, that will also tell me about the fears that they also carry in association to those beliefs, right? For example, if I tell somebody, if their belief is I'm going to have to eat chicken and broccoli and I'm going to have to do hours of cardio, right? Their fear is that if I eat anything outside of chicken and broccoli, I'm not going to lose any weight. And if I stop doing cardio or pull back on my energy expenditure, I'm going to gain weight and I don't want to do that. So I have to do these things, right? That's inevitably the fear that they have. And so once I can gauge the belief system and the fears, then I can go, okay, what is the lowest level fear that they have that I can help them cultivate confidence that that's not necessarily reality, though it is a belief that they have that has been proven true to some capacity in their own experience, or they wouldn't hold that belief. But I have to reframe that belief to give it context and prove that they can overcome that fear of the obstacle that they think is going to set them back in some cases is actually the one thing that propels them forward. And so for me, I'm constantly looking at, yes, I want to understand the actual physical tendencies, behaviors, habits, nutritional strategies, exercise, and what impacts they might have as far as metabolic function, hormonal function, digestive issues, the whole nine, which I'm I'm super adamant about as well, but you cannot neglect the psychological framework that somebody has tried to build their fitness endeavors upon. Because if I do that and I push them into a corner without the understanding or empathy from the context of what they believe and why they believe it, I could push somebody away in a way where I'm creating a wedge in the relationship when I need to bring them closer to me. And so for me, it's very much understanding the way that someone is wired and the things that they've done in the past that have cultivated their present beliefs, fears, and reality 
and how we can start to slowly shift the way that they think and the way that they behave to cultivate further confidence within themselves that they can do the things that's going to lead them personally in the right direction for them based on the desired outcome that they have. So I think that all of it plays an important role in truly getting somebody to change their life. But I am someone of the thought that we have to address the psychological factors that have gotten them to where they are or prevent them from taking a step forward and also try to address where that comes from because you cannot get to, you can't fix any problem like a gut problem or a hormonal problem, right? If you don't get to the root cause. And so the same thing applies when we're talking about someone's frame of reference or their belief systems or their conditioning, right? That came from somewhere. And so one of the things that I am applicable or that I am very passionate about is figuring out what is the thing that triggered you to believe that in the first place? And why are you so afraid of taking an action that might be in opposition to that current belief, knowing that the context of that reality in which that belief benefited you no longer exists, right? And so we have to restructure that and have their perspective change to look at things from a different lens, to have the courage to go, you know what, if I go back to doing that, I'm going to continually exist as, as I do, right? So the worst case scenario is that you stay the way that you are, right? Really, um, the best case scenario is that you transform, right? And so when you look at the cost to benefit ratio of picking a path that might be uncomfortable, it's like, well, the worst thing that could happen is I am challenged and I see things differently, but the negative, the consequence to that, again, with a proper program and proper structure is that you inevitably don't change at all. And that typically stems from your inability to remove fear and lean into it and stop fearing the unknown because people live in comfort. Like we are addicted to desire, I would say, as a society, we are addicted to wanting things and also sticking to a place of helplessness because the moment that you acknowledge that you are not helpless and that you do have power to change, that's when it's on you, the fact that you haven't decided to do that. And so it's easier to play the victim and blame external things, external forces or realities, right, that you might engage with on a daily basis, but not acknowledge that you are in control of your behavior, and that's where a lot of people get lost in the weeds of, well, it's easy for you to say. And of course that comes with judgment over the, the other side of a screen with people that yep. have no idea about my background or, or how I got to where I am and how I continue to climb the ladder. But um, I think one of the things that you had messaged me about, and I did pull this up a little bit, was trying to figure out what discipline and adherence techniques for the average clientele. So I'm curious on what you mean by that and in what context do you find that to be difficult maybe? So it's a good point that you bring that up, but a lot of what you said is 100% what I agree with. You know, when you look at a client and you look at someone who struggles, what's the first thing you want to do? You want to rewind the tapes a little bit. And even though we don't really like to look in the past, because that's where people find their comfort zones and their habits, we need to establish where they started. You know, what was the first like moment of where they started to gather these habits? Where did they come from? Why do they practice them? So for a lot of my clients, what I do is I actually have them journal. And as cheesy as it sounds, it actually resolves the root issue because most people talk themselves in circles. So if they say to themselves like, hey, I'm going to do this today, but then always write it off, they never change. If they put it on pen and paper and look at it every day and look at their trends, what are their repeated behaviors and how do we defeat them? From a psychological standpoint, most people don't actually want to embrace change. And that's a problem because I work with mostly females and I'll tell you this, you said it best. You know, a lot of people have power within them, but they just don't bring it to the surface. And a lot of women live under a glass ceiling when in reality, a lot of them are stronger than men. 
as far as from a mental standpoint and from a physical standpoint. And hell, even in the gym, most women outlast men when it comes to volume. So it's understanding and how to approach that to bring that into fruition. But like you said, developing psychological habits and things along those lines that I like to improve, it's how we rewire a brain. You know, how do we rewire someone who's lived that past for, you know, five, 10 years? And how do we get them from point A to point B on the other side of the spectrum? Is it easy? No, but there's many tactics that we could take, you know, psychological standpoints, like reverse psychology, or having them look from like a third person point of view. Like, what if you monitored yourself for 24 hours? What would you tell yourself? What patterns do you see? And what behaviors would you want to change? We have to put that client in a different position on which they understand their soul situation. And once we can do that, sometimes they'll start to notice like, I've never realized that until I looked at it from a different you know, point of view or a different spectrum. And I think what we need to establish with you know, psychological things is, I know you're big into psychology and I've only taken two psychology courses in my college career with that normal psychology, but it's not enough to truly understand you know, the human brain and how it's wired and how it changes. But every client's different, just like every human body is different. It's how we can get our point across to each and every person we work with to put them on the same playing field and the same page with us, because what we tell them always doesn't work. And we have to keep going back to the drawing board in order to find a method that sticks. So what's something that's sustainable? What's something they can adhere to? Where can they find consistency? All of these things are traits that we need to understand and how we can broadcast it from our point of view to change their habits. Yeah. And I think, I mean, just for you to utilize, because people might be interested, like when I am speaking to a client, I want to understand essentially like how they are wired temperamentally. I'll ask them a question that is very open-ended. So, and it has nothing to do with health and fitness, right? So I might ask somebody, you know, how would you plan your vacation? Right. Super, super interesting kind of open question. And it's like, well, why are you asking me that? But you can break this down based on response. And so if I ask somebody that question and they give me a list that is entirely organized, like first I'm going to need to look up where I want to go and assess the cost analysis and figure out how long I can stay and then blah, 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 right? They're they're very organized, right? So that would tell me they're more of a lion, right? Lions being the people that are very, very organized, right? If I ask somebody that question and they're like, I really just want to go wherever my spouse wants to go. I just want to spend time with them and, and create an experience. And I'm, I don't really actually care, right? They're very people focused, right? So they're going to be more empathic in, in design, but that's what I would call a fox, right? I mean, I'm sorry, a bear. A bear is somebody who's very nurturing of their relationships, right? The fox is someone who's going to be creative. So like, maybe I thought about going to Taiwan, but I kind of want to go to Germany as well, but it might be cool to go to Bora Bora and stay in those huts. Like they're very imagination based, right? So I'm mm -hmm. going to know that that's kind of their temperament. And then there's the people that are like, I don't care. I booked a flight. I'm going across the world. I'll figure out where I'm going when I land, right? That's going to be the cheetah. That's the action taker. The one that's like, I am unafraid. I don't necessarily need to be organized or have a plan, but I'm willing to go. Right. And so that will tell me a little bit about the temperament of the person that I'm working with. And then I can categorize them and their psychology a bit different, right? Because I need to coach each of those types of temperaments differently than one another. And so I think as far as, as coaching goes, there are certain people, and I do mentor coaches mostly on client communication and client communication and effective systems, right? So I'm not someone that's like, I'm going to help you build a six-figure business. I'm like, I'm going to make you a better coach and be able to communicate with different types of people more effectively. And so when I work with people, a lot of them have one specific temperament that they work with the best. And it's because it's a mirror to their own. 
And so yep. if you have someone, if you are more imaginative and creative, right, you're going to be able to mesh really well with kind of the imaginative and creative temperaments that you work with. And you can communicate with them because they speak the same language in the same flow that you do, right? Whereas if you're working with someone who speaks the same language, but the dialogue is a bit different, right? So you might say something, but they interpret it differently, or they say something and you interpret it one way. And so for me, it's, it's really understanding how somebody is wired and how they think and asking them a very objective question or subjective question, right? Will give me an idea as to how do they approach a situation, right? Are they super organized? Are they more imaginative? Is it more focused on other people? Are they just ready to take action, right? And then I can meet them where they are and start to break down the interwebs of each of those psychological frameworks. Um, but I think that understanding who you're speaking to is super important because it's not about, as a coach, it's not about me. It's how do I serve this person? And I can't possibly serve this person to the best of my ability until I understand them. And so that's why for me, psychology was huge. But you know, the reason that I got into psychology was because I wanted to understand myself. And I was very lost after a period of my life when my basketball career ended and that was my whole identity. So I was like, fuck, okay, well, who am I? And then I had to kind of get curious and, and be very introspective and develop a bunch of frameworks, which are going to be in my book that I'm hoping to finish by the end of this year of just lessons that I've learned and stories of my own as well as clients and how to kind of roadmap that out for yourself. Because I think when you are working with people, it's not always about, like you mentioned earlier, it's like people wouldn't think I was a coach with my degrees, right? Mm -hmm. I'm telling you, degrees are important. Education is important for sure. I mean, you know me, I'm a nerd. I've spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on my education. Like no shame around that. I think it's great if you know what you're going to do with it, but just having a degree doesn't make you a great coach. Yep. Right. And so it's, it's not just knowledge and it's not just application that will do well for you for sure. But if you cannot communicate effectively with someone, the odds that you cultivate a safe relationship where you can work as a team to achieve the end goal together with a common understanding of one another, it's, it's not going to be a long-term deal, just like any relationship that you have, right? It doesn't matter if uh, you guys like the same things and you, um, I don't know, temperament-wise are, are aligned in the same fashion, but you can't fucking communicate. It's like, well, mm -hmm. that's not going to that's not going to last long, right? You're going to have riffs and you're going to assume that somebody means something when they didn't say anything, because if you don't say anything and act that way, it means something to you. And you're constantly trying to push upon your perspective view onto that person. And then you're frustrated when their, their language, though they're speaking the same language, right? The dialect of that is actually entirely different. Yeah. And I think a lot of it comes down to what I like to call is bridging the gap. And it's like, how do we find a way to thread the needle from, you know, from two different people? And I like how you kind of put that with, you know, the degrees are great, but that doesn't make you a great person or a great coach because communication is key. I mean, you could take someone off the streets that has a bachelor's or a master's and they go to apply it say a fortune 400 company and you sit down for an interview, you have all these degrees and you kind of fumble. You're not really communicative. You don't look someone in the eye. You don't act like you want to be there. They're going to hire some guy off the street that knows how to sell themselves, knows how to communicate and put forth the effort to be willing to work for that position. And I think that's a huge thing is how you can sell yourself and how you can, you know, be yourself in order to take initiative, whether it's within your occupation or within a relationship, because you don't want to be in a relationship with someone who's not going to hold their ground, someone who's not going to, you know, establish trust, be communicative, 
have character. These are all things that we need as humans, not only as coaches, but also in the real world to actually come out and show who our, our true selves are and our true power. And a lot of people, I think, hide behind that when in reality, they have a lot more inside. They're just scared to come out of that shell in the comfort zones where they're holding themselves back from their true potential. Well, if you've heard me say anything, I say this a lot, but growth and comfort do not coexist. So you have to pick one. Mm-hmm. Right. And exactly. so it's like, if you, and again, you said a lot of people are, um, they stay in the same cycle because it's comfortable to them. If you indeed hate the current reality in which you experience, then you have to lean into the discomfort that is required for you to change. That's where a lot of people get stuck is the fear of uncertainty of, I don't know what's on the other side of this. And so it's easier for you to stay in something that though unideal is not scary enough for you to step into a zone in which you are entirely uncomfortable and uncertain. Maybe you also have fears of judgment or ridicule. And if you can even achieve the thing in which it is that you desire, but all of that comes from a fundamental foundational framework of inadequacy, right? I don't feel like I'm good enough. I'm smart enough. I'm resourceful enough, uh, committed enough maybe to achieve the thing. And so you don't even give yourself permission to try in the first place. I think that is the largest disservice that people make to themselves is they don't even give themselves permission to suck. And like, that is something that is inevitable. If you're doing anything new, you are going to suck at it. Like that's just normal, Mm -hmm. but somehow, right. People in their left to their own mind in their own psyche can talk themselves out of any pursuit before they even begin. And it's, it's because you have an unrealistic expectation from the, um, ability to produce high quality work when you've never even put a pen to paper before. It's like, how could you write? How could you write Colleen Hoover when you've never written a book? It's like, you're not going to be that captivating or persuasive in your language, but the more that you write, the better that you will get. And it's just one of those things where it's like, you, you can do anything, but you can't do everything and you can't do it all at once. And once you can really recognize what that means, as far as principles, it doesn't matter what endeavor you approach in your life. You have to start small and you have to be willing to do it in a high amount of volume before you start to judge yourself. Because until I've done something a hundred times, I don't judge myself for my performance. It's like, how could you possibly be good doing it the 15th time? It's like, okay, well, let me put a high number so that I can compare day one to day 100. And if I do that consistently every single day, regardless of how I feel, right? Cause that's commitment, not interest. So we have to also map that out. But if you can do that, then you can compare what you've produced the hundredth time compared to what you produced the first time. And if you don't see growth and you're not evaluating or reflecting on the performances in which you've engaged in. So it's not just about continuing to keep your head down and grind further or do more, especially if the quality of what you're doing isn't improving. And that's where you have to be humble enough to take the feedback, review the performance, look at what you missed and learn from the less than optimal performances that you've put forth in order to continue to improve. And so evolution is a constant, is a constant process of that entire cycle. It's like, you have to have the courage to do, then you have to have the humility to reflect, and then you have to give yourself permission to evolve so that you can continue to put out less than high quality work, take the feedback from reflection with humility, and then have the courage to once again, produce a different result. And the more that you continue to compile that, the better and better the product becomes. And that is where you cultivate a level of confidence because once you get to that point, you've put out enough times of high quality work, or at least relative to where your understanding was of the thing that you wanted to achieve, you have evidence now that you can do it, right? And that's where confidence comes from. Your ability to give yourself enough concrete evidence and your ability to do something, whatever it is, right? So if you've never deadlifted, 
and you start with the bar and that's not a lot of weight, right? And then you get up to 55 and then 95 and then 125 and you're at 135 and then you're doing 135 with good technique and good tempo. It's like, okay, well, at first I didn't think I could deadlift at all. And it was probably mm-hmm. poor as far as movement pattern is concerned. But once I got more practice and I also reflected, so I filmed myself, I looked at my movement patterns, I compared that to other people. If you're self-coaching or you send it to your coach for feedback, right? Then you start to improve. You continue to take the feedback. You pivot with modalities, movement patterns, mobility work, whatever that might be that's necessary for you. And then all of a sudden you're doing it in proper form at a high level of execution to which you can then continue to see results. And then you do it a hundred times and you're like, yeah, I can deadlift. But six months ago, you said you couldn't deadlift at all, but you had to have the courage to walk in the door and pick up a barbell first. Right. And the same thing happens regardless of what arena you apply that concept to. It's the same thing. What's up team? I interrupt this broadcast to formally invite you to our live event in McKinney, Texas, Saturday, October 21st. If you are into health, fitness, and personal development, you are not going to want to miss this. We are going to have industry leading experts talking all about nutrition, health optimization, and understanding yourself because you deserve to be all that it is that you can be. So I hope to see you there for more information. Click the link below in the description. And now we'll get back into our episode. Yeah. And I like how you put that too, with, you know, you put a six month time frame on that as far as like a deadlift goes, but with most people, you know, when they give you deadlines, it's kind of like, well, we have to remove that guideline and that deadline for a moment because we don't know how long it's going to take you to get there. So that's where we can kind of stem back. And for me being a football player, I always like to use the terminology, like fill the gaps, like the NFL draft was just last weekend. And it's kind of like what teams are needed and what positions are needed to make them a better team that was suffering the week or the year before, I should say. From a client perspective, how do we fill the gaps? Where are their failures and where do they struggle? Because if we can determine where their law of diminishing returns is, I do this over and over. I do this over and over. I need to change this and make it a better habit. We kind of want to try and rewire that person to establish those habits out of the get-go or try to find a way on which we can manipulate their perspective in order to get them from point A to point B. Is it always feasible? Not always. Some people need a little bit more help than others. But I think at the end of the day, when we look at someone and how they're configured, we can always find confidence through their struggles. Because every time they make a mistake, they're always going to grow from it. And they're always going to learn from it. And to make them understand that, hey, we don't live in a perfect world you're going to learn to make mistakes and that's how you're going to get to be a better person. And then that can establish much healthier habits from their chronic habits of the past and putting that into perspective and removing that, I guess I should say obsolete thought process to something that's a little bit more, Hey, if I make a mistake, it's okay. It will put a lot more confidence in their skin and they'll learn to understand, Hey, if I make a mistake here or there, I'll learn from it. I'll move on. And then I'll chalk that up as normal. And I think that's a hard, what's up. No, I was going to say, I I think that that's valid, but I also will push back just slightly on the idea that anybody walks through life without making mistakes. So I think that the biggest mental hurdles that people try to perform mental gymnastics over is creating a false narrative of what reality actually entails. You are Mm -hmm. going to make mistakes. You are going to believe something that is not true. You are going to say something that you're not proud of. You are going to feel fear all the time because fear is also an emotion. People fear it. You're going to feel anxious about things. You're going to feel sad. It's going to rain, right? These are all inevitable realities that you are going to face. So it's not about 
the fact that these all of these concepts exist in the human experience. It's how do you handle them? How do you respond to them? Right. So if if you talk about making a mistake, right, there are people who will respond with, it's not my fault. It was somebody else. I didn't do it. Not my fault. Not, not taking ownership over it. It's your fault. You're a bad person. You did this. You made me do that. It's it's this pressure from this person, blah, blah, blah. No, no extreme ownership from those actions. You have people like that. So while mistakes are inevitable, not everybody is receptive enough to take feedback and go, okay, this is where I felt short. This is what I need to improve. And then you can ensure because the overarching goal with any transformation or personal development journey is that you aim to never make this same mistake twice, accepting that you will make mistakes as you go, right? That's an ideal framework within a psychological person who wants to be growth oriented. But like I said, not everybody is willing to do that. And so first yeah. concept to break through is that mistakes are bad and that you should never make a mistake. That's a false expectation, like being perfect or perfectionistic tendencies, right? Perfection doesn't exist. We all aspire to achieve a level of perfection, but perfection is also subjective. So what you think is perfect and what I think is perfect are going to be different things. So you have to set a realistic expectation where I want to hold this standard within myself, but not to the point where it prevents me from taking any level of action because you will never get close to that idea that again, you will never likely achieve. And that's okay because we are humans and we have only so much capacity for growth and perfection does not actually exist. And so you have to be willing to be courageous enough to take the action. But when you make a mistake, also be humble enough to collect the feedback and reflect on that, on how you could make that better. So the goal is to never make that same mistake twice, right? I think that that's just a logical fallacy that people face is the idea that mistakes mm. are something that we can avoid. Well, if you are someone who is indeed growth oriented and you want to continue to pursue different things, then you're going to fuck it up. And like, that's mm -hmm. okay. That's totally normal. Yeah. And I think that's a hard concept for a lot of people to grasp, especially on social media. You know, when you tell people you want to accomplish these goals and you're going to have to go through these changes, a lot of people aren't willing to embrace that, which is tough. But at the same time, you need to understand if you put them in that position, they actually understand, hey, I actually had a false hope or I have a false ideal of how I want to get to my end goal. And in order for me to get there, I have to understand these mental and psychological changes need to happen. And the hardest thing is defining that fine line between the happy medium, between where they are and where you are, and then putting and bridging that gap together. And I think from a psychological standpoint, it's how can we portray that as coaches to make it more effective from each person that we work with. And while everyone's wired differently and while everyone thinks differently, everyone learns differently as well. You know, are they an audio learner? Are they a hands-on learner? Are they someone that, you know, learns through watching videos or screens? And we have to manipulate all those different learning channels in order to find out what works best for them. That's why coaching, when people ask you like, oh, it, it, you know, it's easy to be a coach. It's like, it's not really easy to be a coach because when you work with the human body, there's so many different things that you have to look at in order to understand, in order to get proper feedback, in order to make changes for each person that you work with. And the more you work with people, the more you can see how many things are fucked up and how many things are kind of easy to transcend. But, you know, every case is different, just like, you know, the human body is not a textbook. So it's a matter of how you can write that script in order to change it for the better. Yeah. And I think, so for me, I would say that if you, if you follow my content, which I know that you do, right. I, mm -hmm. my underlying message is basically the same across the board, right? My goal is to bridge the gap between psychology and physiology to help you cultivate long-term change and maximize your potential within the time that you're here, right? That is my mission. 
And I want to help you do that in a sustainable fashion. So breaking through diet culture bullshit, right? Helping you actualize your potential and reach true fulfillment outside of what you believe you are supposed to want or desire or achieve in your lifetime, but break that all down to what is meaningful for you. So that any walk, any path that you walk is meaningful, regardless of the pain and suffering that is inevitable, right? Because within life, again, breaking down the human experience of all the things that we want to avoid, some of that is inevitable, such as pain and suffering. And so if you can accept that, and then you can find clarity in the direction in which you want to travel. Now I can work with you and help you get there. But I think the reason that I say that is because everybody's mindset, right? Their psychology, they might know that what you're saying is true, but they are not in a place to accept the fact that it is true and receive it to take action. And so, yes, it is about understanding them and how to communicate with them and kind of understand their body and all of that stuff. But I think on the other side of the coin, as far as how do we communicate these types of shifts, like how do I communicate the things that I, the way that I perceive and see the world based on my own personal development journey that continues and will always continue because it's a game that I love playing. But I think that without the problem awareness, so without acknowledging that you are in a space that is entirely uncomfortable and that you want to push past, and you know that you have problems, but you're not sure how to solve them, can you be in a place where you can receive that message? And so it's not me. I'm never going to be the person that tells people, you need to change. You need to think this way. You need to do that. No, that's not, I don't believe that's proper approaching, uh, in a, a proper approach to coaching, in my opinion. I agree. My goal is to have a conversation and dialogue and to question them, to ask them skilled questions to get them to think. I'm not going to tell you the outcome of what those thoughts should be. I just want you to find clarity in what they are. And then you can decide if those thoughts or beliefs serve you and where you want to go. And if they don't, then you can have the confidence and awareness to decide to be different and do different to become different. But my job is not to push that on you. My job is to make you think differently about your life and where you are and also give you the confidence and empower you to know that if you don't like the way that your life is, you can absolutely change it. Yeah. And I agree. And I can kind of relate that to, you know, coaching someone's like building a puzzle. You know, you have to start on the outside. You have to build that framework, understand their background, understand where they came from. And then once we can start building the outside and filling in the middle of the pieces, then you can look at their psychological, you know, social status, their physical status, their mental status, like their health, all the biofeedback tools that we talk about, all of those come together to form what I like to call is the key. And we can give this key to every client that we work with, but we can't also force them to turn it to open a door. If they can open that door, they can open the door to success. They can accept all these failures. They can accept and embrace change. The problem is how do we bridge that gap? And like you said, you have to converse with that client and ask them questions, understand their background. Because if we get too pushy and we tell them do X, Y, and Z, they may flip the switch and walk the other way. So it's a matter of how we can understand that person, get to a certain level of understanding with them in order to understand how we can form the best plan to work with them in order to get them, you know, not only from a physical gym standpoint, from, from a mental standpoint, improving lifestyle habits, changing their repeated behaviors and decision-making, what is causing this to happen and how can we manipulate that in order to fine tune their process? Yeah. And I think it's just the openness to, I don't know. I think that 
I think that coaching with someone to me is I want them to be a part of the process. Cause if you give them power, especially if you're, if you're dealing with someone who is very type a and organized, right. They're going to want to say in the moment that you don't allow them to have a say they're going to push back or they're not going to be communicative towards you or invest in the process. Cause they weren't a part of building it. And so like, for me, again, going back to when I speak to people and I understand the way that they're wired, like I have more people that I'm going to want them by asking them good questions to give me insight as to what the desired outcome is and the approach in which they would prefer that we take, right? So if I can give them options and I say, well, which one feels best for you? Knowing that any of them are a good starting point for them to move towards the goals because I wouldn't present them with an option that is not, right? So I can frame the question in a way that engages them to give me the answer that they feel the most confident, most comfortable, and most excited to start with as far as the pursuit, because we've already decided again, the frame is I'm not here for some rabbit fault house bullshit. I'm not going to fuck up your health, your physical or mental health, and I'm not going to deconstruct your life. So now that we've gotten that out of the way, this is where we need to go. This is the reverse engineered roadmap of that. And this is where we need to start, right? These two or three things that I find are the biggest problems that we need to overcome together. So if we're going to focus on this one, would you want to approach it with A, B, or C, right? How would you feel the most comfortable starting? Well, you know what? I can't, I feel the best with just focusing on this part because I have all these other demands in your life, right? They're throwing excuses at you. And I'm like, cool, those excuses are valid. Let's build out a system so that these behaviors we can start focusing in on. And I know that you mentioned earlier journaling, and I just want to say a nugget on that. I think that journaling is something that is wildly underrated for lots of reasons, yep. one of which... I, I think that most people don't understand that your mind has a mind of its own and the number of thoughts that you have in a day, you are not even aware of half of them, not even yep. a quarter. And so for me, journaling is like a window into the mind because once you put a pen to paper and you truly don't try to write a narrative, you're not trying to write a cool story, right? You're not trying to even articulate your thoughts in a way that other people could interpret and read them. But if you can just truly brain dump whatever comes up and you put it onto paper, you would be amazed at the language that comes out and the stories that you tell yourself or the thoughts that you have and the emotions that build off of those things. And then the way that you cope with them, if you can examine that, right. But that takes courage to look under the hood and go, God damn, that's a dumpster fire. Like that's not cool. And then you can start to judge yourself because you have these thoughts or you've cultivated these beliefs, or you have these behaviors that are destructive in, in nature. But if you can do that with curiosity and not judgment, that is where your power is. Because mm -hmm. every single one of us has a negative thought. Every single one of us has had destructive habits. Every single one of us has failed or made mistakes, fucked up, whatever it is you want to be. So regardless of what you consume on the internet, right? I want you to know that like, even if you look up to me, I have my own imperfections, like a laundry list of them. But I also have cultivated enough self-awareness and taken the time, and I mean years of introspection and looking at myself and understanding the way that I'm wired and how to then leverage some of those things to put them out and produce something positive. That's where a lot of the cool shit happens. That's where your power lies, is not only understanding yourself, removing the judgment so you don't shame yourself or guilt yourself and label yourself as that's just the way that I am and I'm just going to be this way, right? If you want to keep telling yourself that story, inevitably you will be. But if indeed you want to rewrite that story to have a different ending, right? You have to be able to understand the way you actually think and the things that you believe about yourself and where that comes from in the ideas that you have around your ability to change or be different in the first place. And so I think journaling is a clear mapped out insight into your mind that most people have no idea what's going on up there. And if you try to sort something out in your head, right, it's never going to make sense in practice, 
So there are some people that don't like writing. And like one thing I'll have them do is literally go for a walk, put your headphones in, turn on your voice memo note on your, on your phone and just start talking. Whatever comes up, you just talk about. And it's amazing depending on how you process. Again, journaling is one way, voice notes are another way. But once you start talking about the things that you haven't had the courage or given yourself permission to talk about, you would be amazed at the fucking things that you say to yourself about yourself. But now if you can remove that and go, okay, if that was your daughter on the other side of that, how would you feel knowing that she says or thinks those things about herself? You would never talk to your daughter that way or your son or whoever that it is that you love. So why do you have such little self-respect to where you tolerate yourself talking to yourself that way? Because I, and this is a, a hot take that I have that people might be triggered by initially, but if you think about it and you kind of remove that, that urge to be upset, there's a lot of truth to it. If you are in a place where you are unhealthy or you're in a body composition that you don't enjoy, or you eat foods that don't serve you, or you, you're out partying, doing drugs, watching porn, whatever it might be. The reason that you do that is because you do not embody a level of self-respect. And I know that that's again, triggering to some people. And I apologize if I've offended you, but just think about how would someone who truly respects themselves treat themselves? Would they gorge themselves at night because they're emotionally dysregulated? Probably not. They probably Mm -hmm. would have advocated in the moment with someone that upset them, not in an aggressive way, but saying, Hey, that's unacceptable. You will not treat me that way. I will not be spoken to that way. And you would have addressed that in the front end, but instead, because you don't have the courage or the confidence, because you don't have any levels of self-respect, you accept that level of treatment and then you internalize it. And then you behave in a way to try to work through that emotion in a destructive way, right? If we paint that roadmap. And so the moment that you decide that you deserve to respect yourself on a much better level, because you deserve to change, because you deserve to have better, because you deserve to be better, right? And you start demanding a standard of excellence and self-respect within yourself, that's where everything outside of you changes. Because the moment that you stop tolerating your own disrespect is the moment that you will also stop tolerating other people's. And that's where a lot of your power will come back and a lot of your own self-confidence and courage will come back. Because I get asked about confidence all the time. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I'll be honest with you. There are certain arenas in my life that I'm entirely confident in. And that's because I have a level of competence in them, right? Confidence mm-hmm. comes from competence and competence comes from skill and practice. And so going back to the volume thing, if you've done something over and over and over and over and over again, well, you're pretty confident in your ability to do it because you've done it a thousand times, right? And so the more that you put in effort to acquire a skill set, and then you develop the skill to where you are competent in it and efficient in it, your confidence regarding that thing is going to be a lot higher than when it was where you started. And so for people that want to be confident, first, what do you want to be confident in? And relative to that, where are you lacking competence? And if you are lacking confidence and you can identify where that is, then you go, okay, well, this is a communication skill set that I lack. This is an emotional intelligence thing that I lack. This is me being able to see somebody else's frame of reference to provide them a level of empathy that I lack. And then you can start to break down, well, okay, these are the tactical steps that I need to deploy in order to increase my competence so that I am more confident in doing these certain things. Yeah. And I think knowing you and your background, you know, with you being a basketball player, you know, one thing that I think really found your competence and confidence is your competitiveness. You were always looking to no pun intended level up. Right. So, you know, when you're on a basketball court, you're trying to find a way to work with higher level athletes to compete against them because you want to improve, you want to be the best when it comes to coaching, you know, 
you interview a lot of people, you work with a lot of people, the competitive nature within the coaching industry is understanding knowledge, how to apply that confidence, competence, and then also compete with others to become a better coach. There's a lot of learning involved within social media and different learning channels, but I kind of want to rewire a little bit, talking a little bit more about that journaling too. I think one key thing that a lot of people overlook is the external validity behind their journaling. So if let's say, for example, you work with say a mother who has a couple kids, right? If they have some bad habits, say whether it's, you know, leaving all their calories later at night, trying to walk around a kitchen to meet X amount of steps, which is in an unhealthy manner. Cause it's like, oh, I have 9,357 steps, but I have to hit 10,000. So I'm going to walk around the kitchen for an hour. You know, what happens if you ask your kids how you thought about how you're acting and what you're doing, they're going to look at you and say like, why do you do these things? And sometimes that is like a wake up call to understanding like improper behaviors or the law of diminishing returns on some of the things that you've been practicing for so long that's caught by other people by simply asking a generic question. And some of those generic questions can lead and open the door to many opportunities and many different things, which we can learn about someone. Because like you said, if you were to journal, sometimes you don't even know what to journal about, whether it's on pen and paper with a voice message or in the morning, what's the first thing that comes to your head or at the end of the day, what is swirling through your head? Some people are so overwhelmed. Um, I forget what book it was that I read, but I think it's like you act or you think about over, is it like 50,000 or 100,000 different things within yeah, a day? Yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. Yeah. And to put that into perspective, how do you write that all down? You cannot. So that's where it comes down to that journaling. How can we start to establish what's healthy, what's unhealthy, and how we can get to the, you know, the bare bone of what these patterns are, what these habits are, what you struggle with. And once you start to write them down, whether it's, you know, talking, writing, or simply making a lot of sticky notes, because I know you do that as well. I do that as well, because I forget everything. Even if I put it in my phone, I'll forget it. But if I have 10 sticky notes by my desk, I'll know I have to do X, Y, and Z today, or else I'm never going to get this completed. So it's a matter of, you know, a hierarchy of what's important to you. You know, we can do all these other minor cool things, but at the end of the day, if you overlook some of the most important aspects on how to improve your health, how to improve your mental health or decision-making, you may be looking at it dead in the mirror, but the root issue is the person themselves are not taking the opportunity to set themselves up for success because they're overlooking generic factors or generic things or trends that they do because they continue to do them without even recognizing it. Well, again, a lot of our habits are on autopilot, right? A lot of our behaviors Mm -hmm. are actually subconscious, just like a lot of the beliefs that we have around our own capabilities are very subconscious, right? And this is where I'll talk about like the upper limit theory. And this is Gay Hendricks book, but you, you create your own upper limits, inevitably so. The problem is a lot of people aren't aware of what they believe that they can achieve. And so they only strive for a certain amount in which they say, that's okay for me to kind of push for that. But I, I don't think that I actually can achieve more than that. So once I get there, I'll, I'll probably just stop, right? And that's mm-hmm. where people disrupt their potential, right? And potential is such such a subjective word because we can't actually figure out what that means because everybody, that is very mm-hmm. subjective. But there's something that you said, there's a couple things that you said that I want to branch out on. So the first one is the idea of competition. Um, I think that you you made a comment um, that we are competing against other people in this space. I don't see it that way. Um, Mm -hmm. For me, it's the people, my mission is quite specific in nature and the people that need that help will reach out to me for that level of service, right? 
Um, everybody has their own niche and their own approach to things. And again, depending on the, the client that they work with, right, that might be the right approach. And maybe the approach that I have isn't going to work for them. Maybe the way that I mm-hmm. communicate or the standards that I have, right, the way that I work may not fit them. That's okay, right? That's why we have more co- more coaches, right? If I could serve everybody, it would still be physically impossible for me to do that. And so I never operate from a place of scarcity. There are millions of people that need a lot of help. And when people buy coaching, they don't buy coaching. They buy coaches. They're going to want to invest in people that they feel, see them, understand them, and can truly help them. And everybody's skill set, communication level, the way that they communicate, how they approach different problems, right? The things that they fundamentally focus on within their programs, all those are different. That's okay. We need diversity. If everybody's program was the same, well, then everybody would get the same kind of service and support. And, you know, nobody, I I would say the majority of people wouldn't actually find transformation because while Mm -hmm. I would say that I'm an expert at what I do, I might not be an expert that also meshes with every single person I would like to be, but inevitably I won't be, I'm imperfect in that way. So I only have, you know, so much growth. I I like to think that I can grow as much as possible and that's my goal. And I will continue to work towards that until I kind of die. But um, I think that that's really important as far as my competitive spirit is within myself. And so for me, when I, when I pursued basketball, I was like, I'm going to put myself in the most uncomfortable arena so that I get beat the fuck up but I will get better if I keep showing up. So it was more of how good can I get, especially throwing myself into a fire where I know I'm going to lose, right? I knew walking into a gym with Devontae Graham and Isaac Copeland, I was going to get my ass beat, right? There was no way. But if I could hang with them, and inevitably I could hang with them, though if we were to play one-on-one, they would still beat me, right? It wasn't about winning. It was about me developing a skill set that I was passionate about and I found meaning in. And then when it comes to a team, I think that sports tell you more about the truths in life than a lot of things that we experience. And I can, I'll try to keep this very much focused on health and fitness, but I could go down different <laughs> spectrums that would be a bit polarizing, right? But when you have mm-hmm. roles in, on a team, right, the team has strengths and each person has to play to those strengths, right? So when I am looking at a person that I'm working with, right? I know my strengths as a point guard, right? I am able to communicate effectively, demand excellence, know the strengths of my teammates and set them up to be able to capitalize on that strength. That is my job, right? That is my job to, con- to to connect with the coach, convey their mission onto the floor, direct the team appropriately and set them up to be successful so that we all win, right? That was my role, to be the smartest person on the floor, but also on the other side of my, when I'm looking at my opponents, I needed to know their strengths, but also their weaknesses. Because if I can defend their strengths and exploit their weaknesses, then I win, right? Then we as a team, win. And so when I'm working with someone, I use that same framework of, okay, okay, this is this person's strengths. They might be very type A, super organized, ambitious enough, right? All those things are together, but they have such a low stress threshold. And they also have a demanding job, right? A demanding spouse. Maybe they have children. And so it's like, you have all these strengths and these are your weaknesses. Okay, cool. How do I help eliminate the gravity of these weaknesses by giving you a system to help manage this and also uh, exploit and capitalize on your strengths? so that we can make this mindless and simple so that the level of resistance that you have to overcome, because we have to consider that when we're building on a program, right? There is going to be a level of resistance initially because they don't have these habits already. If they had them already, it would be easy. If they'd done this before, it would be easy. However, there's physical resistance and then there's psychological resistance. And so we have to be able to minimize the level of resistance that this person experiences while capitalizing on their strengths and trying to diminish, but not exploit, right? Their weaknesses. 
And that's how you get a customized path for this person to walk because it's, I understand you, I understand your temperament, I understand your background, I know your beliefs and I know your fears. I know your strengths and I know your weaknesses. And now I can customize something for you as far as a blueprint or success path or whatever you want to call it to get us from where we are to where you want to be utilizing your strengths, minimizing these things and taking these tactical steps, knowing that the game that we're playing, as soon as we get to this goal that you have, always, if we're working with someone who is growth oriented, the goalposts will shift, right? And that's the fun. You have to give yourself permission to shift if there is a point in time where it's necessary for you to do that. And it's in alignment with what is meaningful to you. And so I think a lot of that is just looking at all of those different facets, but in the means of competition, I, I wanted to make that note. And then the second thing, and then I'll, I'll let you talk. The second thing is you talked about someone who was walking around their apartment and looking to get their steps, right? And I have actually mm -hmm. clients that do this and I've done this myself. So I don't know that it's the behavior that is wrong. It's the belief that has forced you to take action around that behavior that is wrong. Yeah. So for example, if I have a mom who wants to get her steps and she turns on music and she's dancing around with her kid, it's like, she's dancing around. Like I will dance all the time to get my steps. But for me, that's fun. It's movement and it aligns with my daily activity goals, right? I want to make sure that I move my body. It's very good for me to do that. The other side of the coin is if they're looking at their step and bouncing around their house and they're just walking with their head down or stepping in place and someone goes, well, why are you doing that? It's like, well, I have to get these steps. Well, if you ask them, why do I have to? Well, if I don't, then I failed. Well, what are the consequences of that failure? Well, I'm not sure. Mm -hmm. Okay. So is it truly a failure and are those steps truly necessary? And are you doing this out of the fear of shame or guilt that you might feel or the, the perception of your feel of failure, your fear of failure that's keeping you in this kind of rat race? That's a different approach, right? That's a different yeah. context. And so outside of the behavior, we have to also understand the context of that behavior. What is the psychological drive that's forcing or enforcing that behavior? And I think that's the difference because not all behaviors are bad, Right. But if you have someone who goes out to eat, let's say it's no butter, no oil on that food. And it's because they fear eating oil or consuming any oil because the idea of oil makes them fat, right? They might have a subconscious belief that fat makes them fat. And so I don't need any fat, no oil on my food. That's different than I actually notice I eat a ton of fat and I want to try to eliminate my fat content to bring up my protein content or whatever shift in their behavior or dynamic nutritional approach that they want. So they're ordering to align that with their goal. Those are two different contexts, two different psychological standpoints, two different realities that they're experiencing simultaneously. One of them is going to benefit from that. The other one is going to be destructive. And so we have to be able to understand the context of the framework that they're using. But I think, again, branching off of that, if you have a child who's asking you that and you almost want to hide it, I think that shame is such a powerful emotion. Like I know that people are like, they're, they fear shame or they, they get like all butthurt about it. Shame tells you that you're doing something that you know is wrong. Otherwise you yep. wouldn't feel shameful about it, right? So mm -hmm. if you experience shame, like the first thing you need to ask is, well, one, I, I can label this. So like, I feel shameful. Why? Well, I know that the behavior is actually not something I should be proud of or not something that I should be doing. Okay. So, you know, you shouldn't be engaging this behavior. So what is driving you to engage in this behavior? And then we can get to the root of the problem that's manifesting in this behavior that they feel shameful about and give them an opportunity to find a solution that doesn't feel shameful or is not inherently wrong to be doing. Yeah. And I think that that's a good thing that we have to bring up and look at because, you know, we see a lot of different behaviors and a lot of different failures and a lot of different things that are subjective from person to person and client to client we work with and how we can label those different behaviors and trends and patterns that they do in order to make them compliant with their end goal and how we can get them there is always going to be, you know, a different path, because if it was always the same, like you talked about, 
we'd all look the same. We'd all do the same diet. We'd all do the same training plan. And guess what? We would all find success in an X or Y amount of time frame. but it doesn't work that way. You know, you have someone that's chronically dieted for 10 years. It may take them a long ass time to get back to homeostasis, where if you have someone that's, oh, hey, I kind of fell off the wagon for a couple months. I need a coach shift some of these, you know, patterns and behaviors and their eating patterns. They can be well on their way in such a short amount of time. And that's where it comes down to that, that keyword context where every person we work with, that context is so key. And it's a matter of how we ask the right questions to get that information to form the context, to complete the questions and answers we need to get them in that happy medium. And that's a very hard thing for us as coaches to get to. But like you said, when you take a different approach or a different standard and find ways to asking those generic questions to open them up, they'll start to give you the information that they've hidden from themselves for so long to get them out there in the blue. And it's kind of like, well, hey, you've been doing this, but it's something you've masked up. So let's try and look at these different alternatives. And even if they fail, they'll learn more about themselves. And that's where they'll find strength. They'll build confidence. And that's how they'll be successful in the real world, not only with fitness, but also in their regular lives too. Because a lot of these people that I'm sure you coach, you make them better people in their occupation, in their real life, you know, socially out with their friends and family members, eating out socially at their occupation and their work. I'm sure they notice a huge difference in boosting their confidence, not only with how they communicate, but how they act within their family and establish themselves as a role model amongst them. Yeah. Because you start to be, like I said, when you start to respect yourself, right, that carries over into how you carry yourself how you deal with a difficult conversation, how you approach something uncomfortable, the way you allow other people to tolerate or disrespect you, right? The level of tolerance you have, but it doesn't start with you disrespecting yourself, right? Once you have a level of, of self-respect and confidence and you've developed a level of competence and you understand the way that you are wired and you've reframed the way that you see yourself in the world, that will carry over into every arena of your life. And that is my favorite part of what I do, right? And that's mm -hmm. why, again, it's not just, I'm a fat loss coach. I, I, I will help you do that. That's a part of my program for sure. But if you're not willing to investigate why you are the way that you are and how you got here, right, then we're not going to be able to overcome those obstacles. And inevitably, regardless of how much weight that we lose, and regardless of how much your body composition shifts, if fundamentally something within your psyche doesn't shift as well, you will not sustain the results that you achieve. And I've done this for, I've been in this industry for way too long, I feel like, but forever. Um, <laughs> But like, I've seen it so many times that I have a lot of conviction behind that because my mission within what I do is to be the person that I wish that I had. Right. And so for me, it's everything that I do, every client that I work with, every client that our team works with, I project manage, I'm invested in everyone's success, right? Because that's what I would have wanted for me. Yep. So yep. and I, when you kind of reverse the role from yourself as a coach to the client, it's like, Hey, you know, I'm investing in this person, but at the end of the day, if I was that client. I would want to make sure that if with my investment, I make these changes, not only is it for the gym or is it for mental, you know, communicative, I'm sure you work with a lot of people just to improve their communication and confidence because knowing the person you are, you will find a way to make someone better, even if it's outside of the gym. And if you can do that, you can unlock a potential for someone to excel in so many areas in life, which I think a lot of people overlook because it's like, Hey, you know, I'm coming to you for this nutritional goal there's so many other benefits that you can find out of someone you invest in knowing how you communicate with them and how you can actually 
unlock their potential through multiple changes in not only their dietary habits, but also their psychological habits. So I think that's a good thing that a lot of people overlook when investing in a coach. It's like, how else can this person help me succeed in the real world? Yeah. And one of the things that I ask myself, like after getting off a discovery call with someone, I sit down mm -hmm. with all of my notes and I go, okay, how do I get the best out of this person? How do I get the best of them? Right. And I sit down and I think about that because I'm like, okay, understanding all of these things that I've asked them and I've gotten answers to, and I'll watch, I always record calls so that I can watch them back, pick up any notes that I miss. And I go, okay, what do I need to do to get the absolute best out of this person? And then I construct everything from there. But it's, it's, it's something that I am very invested in because again, like, I don't know if anyone's ever sat down and asked themselves, how do I get the best out of Kate? Right. I ask myself that all the time because I want to be the best that I possibly can. So it's like, what, what growth and discomfort do I need to go through right now to continue to get the best out of me so that I can continue to demand the best out of my team and my people and the people that we serve. But I can't continue to do that if I don't challenge my own personal development as well. So that's why I'm always learning. I'm always studying. I'm always pursuing something um, mm -hmm. because it will make me better. And then I can help people and continue to serve people that are where I once was. And I think that's going to be kind of cool when you put all those thoughts and actions together and then you write that book. It probably helps you understand you as a person and where you can grow, because as you're writing out these different paragraphs and chapters, it's like throughout this story, I've never even realized this side about myself. And then once you put it on paper, it's like, shit, there's something that I can change that I can incorporate and make myself better and then utilize it on my clientele. Yeah, all the time, all the time. There are so many insights and downloads. And like for me too, like as a coach, I still think it's very important for me to invest in my own personal development. So I always have a mentor. Mm -hmm. I always have someone checking me. I always have someone challenging me because even though I understand myself, I would say very well, I'm very, very attuned to my own nature. However, I still have blind spots. And so like, if I miss something, I want to know immediately. I want to know, like, I am very receptive to feedback. It's like, oh, okay. That was not ideal. Or, oh, I should have approached it this way. Or, oh, I missed this nugget. Or I, I, I want to know. I am like a sponge as Ryan Conley would call me when he used to mentor me mm -hmm. about all about training. Cause I wanted to be, okay. I want to understand programming and a tempo and cues that people need, depending on their leverages and like how to move them through this and how to get stronger without, you know, all of that stuff. Ryan was like, you are the biggest sponge I've ever spoke to in my life. Cause I'm entirely curious. I mean, about everything. And so Sometimes that's a gift and sometimes that's a curse because then I have to decide, well, what do I want to invest this period of my life being entirely curious mm -hmm. about? Because while I want to know everything about everything, I can't do everything all at once. And so a lot of people too, like, especially newer coaches um, or people coming into an industry, it's like comparing yourself to me or to you, right? It's like, well, I've been doing this for Year. I mean, I've been studying health and fitness since I was a young kid because I wanted to be an elite basketball player. So I was like, what do I need to know? I got to get better. And so I've always mm -hmm. had a passion for that. And obviously my knowledge has continued to snowball and compound over those foundations for my entire life. I've just been passionate about it. And so like, just like if you're walking in the gym for the first time, if you see a girl with killer aesthetics, you're like, damn, I'll never look like that. It's like, well, she's been here for five years and this is day one for you. So like you have to give yourself permission to grow and feel uncomfortable and evolve and then perform more and then learn more and acquire a new skill set and then continue to evolve. And it's just this big, long snowball, but it's, it's the most fulfilling thing. And I've said this before, but I'll say it again. It is, it is your obligation to yourself to find out all that it is that you can be in your finite human experience. And that should be a fun ride. Like people carry a lot of stress. And I'm like, if you don't like your life, the way that you've designed it, you can also change it. 
It's yeah. Just- and one thing I did, I, I wanted to talk about and touch on with you that you just brought up there with you being like sponge, right? When you work with a client and you toss them a lot of information or ask them a lot of questions, do you ever run into situations where people will grab on to more of like a micromanagement approach instead of looking at the big picture? And then how do you deal with that when they try and invest so much in the smaller details, but lose hindsight of the big picture? So that's a great question. Uh, and I mm-hmm. see this a lot with people. They focus on like the two to 3% of like the most advanced trainees. And they're like, I got to focus on my timing of this and that. And I'm like, okay, cool. But how do we do that if we aren't being consistent with our nutrition on a daily basis? How can we worry mm-hmm. about pre and post peri-workout nutrition and, and when to implement intra-workout and you know all these different, whatever the thing might be that they're focused on. So what I do is I will ask them a question that reframes, is this really that important? If you're not being consistent with just hitting your protein and calories, why are we going mm-hmm. to worry about pre and post workout carbohydrates and, and distributions of macros that are ideal for optimal performance and recovery? When we know scientifically on a fundamental basis, if you want to see body composition shifts, you need to have enough protein. You need to be in a calorie deficit if you're trying to lose body fat and you need to resistance train consistently. Those are the big, those are going to be your major players. So if we can't do that consistently on a foundation, how can we grow anything on top of that? It is cracked. So I need you to solidify this foundation. And when you're ready, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Yeah, that's a good point too, because, you know, that only not only applies to, you know, the nutritional side of things, but it's also like the mental side of things. Cause it's like, oh, I'm over like five grams of carbs for the day. Like my coach is going to kill me. I think sometimes people need to realize that, Hey, you know, sometimes roll with the punches, let that happen. Because if you make that mistake and you kind of shrug your shoulders a little bit, it might actually open you up a little bit too. Hey, that's okay to make that mistake, but I'm still accountable because I still hit all my other meals for the day, but I can let that little aspect slide. Well, here's the thing too, like with that, people focus on again, zeroing out their macros. And again, I'll say this till I'm blue in the face. The FDA has like what a 20% margin of error on any nutritional label. So even if it's perfect, it's actually imperfect by design. Number one, number two, a lot of people be like, oh my God, I'm over 10 carbs. Like I just blew it. And then what they can do is engage in self-sabotaging behaviors where they're like, I've already blown it. So I'll just keep eating. Whereas like, hold on. If you were to do the math, you were over 10 carbs. Okay. 10, I'm sorry, four calories per one gram of carbohydrate. So you're over 40 calories from your entire day. And you're really going to blow it being over 40 calories. Are you serious? And when you ask Mm -hmm. them that question, it's like, is 40 calories really, I wouldn't say it that way, but I would just say was 40 calories. Do you think that that's truly going to impact you putting on body fat? And when they think about it logically, it's like, no, it's like, okay, then Mm. that's fine. Guess what? You're still fine. Nothing happened. But if you then use that as an emotional trigger to shut down your logical brain and then behave in ways that are self-sabotaging in nature, then of course the scale is going to go up. And you are going to think that it was from you going over 10 carbs because you didn't track the rest of your cascade that happened. And so you're like, I know I overate, but you didn't assess oh, the trigger is that I have this idea that I have to be perfect in zeroing out my macros. And when I'm not, I then feel bad and I engage in self-sabotaging behaviors. So it's like, okay, if that's the root cause, then we need to physically teach you what this means and why we track Mm -hmm. it. But we also have to, I don't think that cut and dry macros are truly the best approach anyways for most people, especially if they're in bay. So if we Mm -hmm. work in a range, then it's like, okay, well, you're still fine. Everything's fine. This guy didn't fall. You're not fat. Everything's good. Right. And then you can continue to focus on the consistency of the habits and the behaviors that we want to be able to carry over long-term. I think cut and dry macros are too triggering for some people, because like you said, they can get into the all or nothing mindset or be in that perfect mind frame where 
if they don't journal and they don't understand why they do those triggering behaviors or kind of fall out and to go into that fallacy, they'll never realize why they got there in the first place. So if they implement, you know, a little bit more flexibility or balance within their lifestyle, not only will it help them from a nutritional standpoint, it may help them from a psychological standpoint. Cause then they say, Oh, Hey, I'm trying to be too perfect. And when I do, and I go over, this is the outcome. But if I pull myself back and I allow myself to make a mistake here or there, and I can correct that in the future because I understand that behavior, I now know what is a root issue, what is a trigger. And now that I know that I can take that step in the future to correct that action and filling those holes and figuring out those gaps are key things that we need to look at as coaches to how we can mentor that and then invest in them to make those changes for the better. And I think that's a hard pill to swallow for some people because they don't actually see it until you actually pull them back in that situation and help explain why they do what they do and then kind of walk them through it because that first mistake may be the best mistake they make in order to embrace the change that they've been meaning to make for so long. Absolutely. And that is a great note to end on. I do have to jump for a call, but Bob, I appreciate you so much. I will plug all of your information below and then we'll have to connect for another one because I think there's more to this conversation. Always is. But hey, I'll let you slide. I know how busy you are, but if you ever need anything, I'm only a message away. So good to hear from you. Awesome. Thanks, Bob. I'll talk to you soon. Will do. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.